Blog Talk Radio. live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozak, and I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tonight, we're going to be looking at trusting God when chaos abounds, and we're looking at various aspects of what it means to trust God. So we all know that it's pretty much human nature to want to be in the driver's seat of our own lives and have everything figured out and planned in advance. And then when things don't turn out as expected, it can result not just in disappointment, but also depression and anxiety and even some other mental and emotional duress and some mental health issues. So tonight we want to address these issues and we want to look at what it really means to fully surrender and trust God in all things. And with the conditions, the way they are um, in the world right now, this can be a lot easier said than done. We all know that um, feels in many ways that the world's been turned, up to, uh, turned upside down in these past three years. Um, and we're facing different things every day that, um, if we're not careful, can take our focus off of trusting in God. And so we're going to talk about um, the ways to go about focusing on him and what it means to trust him fully um, as we go through chaotic times and a very unusual and um, challenging season happening globally right now um, that in many cases and many scholars believe to be the end times, at least the run up to it. We're also going to be looking at uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, kind of in a deep dive way, um, and how that uh, those scriptures can help us when it feels like our lives and our circumstances are spinning out of control. And as many listeners probably know, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So we'll be unpacking that phrase by phrase um, a little bit uh, later on in the broadcast this evening. But I wanted to start out tonight just talking in general first about trust before we get into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and the specifics of that passage. So we look at trust. Sometimes we think well, you can't trust anyone. We've heard that phrase, you can't trust anyone these days. That's a statement that 
um, is common. Nobody's worthy of trust, and, and it's not good to put your trust in people. And in many ways, that is true. I'm going to go through a balanced perspective on that a little bit later as well. Um, and while it is the case, for sure, that deception and immorality have increased in our culture, um, it offers little for us to trust in. Um, we still should, as believers, strive to be trustworthy individuals for others and be encouraged to know that we can always trust in God. And so I just wanted to start out here with Psalm 56, verses 3 through 4. And we may be familiar with this one as well, but it's such a comfort um, in the day and age that we're in right now. And it says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And I just love uh, those verses. And I think that um, it's, it's something for right now for us to really remember that even though we can see man doing a lot of things in this world right now, when we put our trust in God, we don't need to fear. Because it's in him, and he's unchangeable, and he's our protector. And Psalm 91 talks all about the protection that we can find underneath his wings. And so I'd recommend that full psalm. We won't read through it tonight. But um, for when there is anxiety and fear and feeling like you're unable to trust anyone, to really um, read that psalm, and only read it, but let it get down into your heart because it provides a level of um deep comfort that can't be received from any other human being, but only from God himself. So as David just said, and as I read in Psalm 56 here, he expressed such a confidence and trust in God that it almost seems inconceivable. When David was feeling fear for his life because of the pursuit of his enemies, he chose to put his trust in God, so much so that he no longer felt afraid since he was being pursued by mere men. But he had put his trust in the living God. And we need to note that fear will come up in our lives as it typically can and sometimes often can. But when we choose to trust God, that fear will diminish over time as we pay less and less attention to it. So it is possible if you are fear-based, or fear-driven or fear-focused as you learn to redirect that emotion and those thoughts and renew your mind according to what God's Word says, which um, says fear not, I believe, 365 times, once for every day of the year, uh, essentially, when we really learn to do that and live that way and in that manner, we can overcome our tendency to live from a platform of fear and we can begin to live from a platform of faith and trust. So it's often said that fear and faith cannot coexist. If we look at one of the Greek words for trust, it's the word paizo, which means to win over or to persuade. And it is the root of the Greek word for faith, which is pistis. So when we trust someone, We believe in them and are persuaded that they will do what's best for us. We believe and are convinced of their ability and sincerity, 
And this is exactly what the word pytho means. We have faith in that person and we trust them. But how does this faith and trust remove our fear? Let's look at the Hebrew word for trust, which is batak, and it's used in Psalm 56. So batak carries with it the idea of attaching oneself to another, and it can mean to trust, to confide in, or to be secure, and it has a basic meaning of something that is firm or solid. It's a word whereby one individual expresses complete confidence in the other. So therefore, when we're expressing our trust in God, we are quite literally and also figuratively attaching ourselves to him spiritually. And if we're attached to him, his presence will cast out our fear because we know the scripture that says perfect love casts out fear, which is 1 John 4, 18. So in our relationship with God, we can choose to trust in him And then we can surely release our anxieties and cling to him. This is very helpful in people who are highly anxietal when you can um, have this image in your mind of attaching yourself to God, which is what this Hebrew word batak means at its root. It does help to realize God is um, so near to you that you've attached yourself onto him. There's no need to carry the anxiety because he's there with you and his love is there for you and that love will cast that anxiety and that fear out of you. So when we can do that, we know that he is in control and we can be confident in him and we can be reassured of that. This is what David chose to do as he actively trusted in God until that trust was fully completed as this is what the Hebrew verb tense used here is telling us. So in other words, he continued the act of tying himself or attaching himself to God until he knew the job was finished. So here, David found healing from his fears, healing that he so desperately needed in this situation. And the good news and the encouragement here is that we can do the same, and in turn, we can be trustworthy examples in an untrusting world. So not only does it help us to learn how to trust God at a deeper level, but then we can also learn how to be trustworthy for others who may have been let down multiple times or betrayed and so forth. So um, as a Christian psychotherapist, one of the top issues that has proven to be a continual struggle for people that I see in my practice is this issue of trust. Um, I see this over and over again. It's something that um, many people have wrestled with for years, maybe decades, um, if, especially if they've had a foundational trust broken, whether in childhood or in another key relationship in their life. Um, and once that trust has been shattered, which can happen very easily, and once it's in pieces, it's very difficult to put those pieces back together again. It can feel like they never will seem to fit in quite exactly the same way. Um, Trust is fragile, and because of this, it needs to be treated as such. Now, the Lord can um, help us as we learn to walk through forgiveness and process issues that have caused us to be distrustful, um, and as we walk through um, ways of releasing bitterness, he can help restore trust. 
in a loved one, for example, as we ask him and invite him to do so. Um, but in terms of the ramifications and the effects that it has on us um, in our human nature, if someone confides something to a friend, for example, and then that friend breaks their trust, the pain and the feelings of betrayal can oftentimes seem overwhelming. It can really throw someone off, especially if it was a person that they had previously had a tremendous amount of trust in. To then suffer a betrayal or a backstabbing can be nearly unbearable in that moment. So I think we've all been in a, that boat at one time and another uh, or another in our lives to some degree, to some level. And how we respond when our trust has been shattered is crucial regarding our emotional health. Um, for example, some people, when their trust has been violated, will close themselves in and make an agreement with themselves along the lines of, I will never allow myself to become to become close to anyone again. That's an example of a type of inner vow or phrased differently, a statement of the will that boxes a person in to a particular response pattern. Inner vows are not easily broken because vows bind to the soul and that is actually scriptural. So in many cases, this vow that comes from a place of hurt is made subconsciously, and the person making it may not even realize that they've done so. But the fruit that comes from a vow like this can be seen easily. A person whose trust has been shattered will likely begin to distance themselves or pull back in many of their relationships. They may hold other people at arm's length, they may refuse to take emotional risks for fear of the hurt that could result. Or they may even become cynical and sarcastic, an indication that they're harboring anger deep down as well. So in essence, this fortress of protection that they've built around their heart actually becomes a prison from which they can't escape. And this is why it's so important that we don't become too invested in trying to protect ourselves from any and all pain that life may hold. Now, this this is not uh, related to having good boundaries. Good boundaries are very important. Um, when trust has been shattered in a way that has been um, a complete violation and it's unredemptive and um, there's no uh, reasonable um, way to enter back into a relationship or any um, reason why that relationship should be reconciled, that's another thing, and that's when boundaries are very important um, to uphold. But if it's a situation where we've been hurt by someone breaking our trust, in a, let's say in a friendship situation, for example, um, they may not have deliberately meant to hurt us. They may have uh, meant to deliberately hurt us as well. It could be either or. But if we don't deal with that hurt in the right way, as I just kind of mentioned, our fortress can become our prison. Um, and if we do let those walls be built up, we can literally build such a thick fortress around our heart, never being willing to let anybody in for fear that they may hurt us, that we put ourselves in a position where we can actually give legal ground to the enemy by doing this. 
So this is why we need instead to trust that God will protect us and to turn that hurt and that pain over to the Lord so that we do not end up becoming jaded and um, isolated and all of, you know, both of, both of which can cause depression and um, other mental health issues. So this whole issue of trust really can affect people in terms of how healthy they are mentally and emotionally. Um, so no matter what man has done to hurt our trust, the Lord himself, and it's so important to remember this, is fully and completely trustworthy. It says he changes not. There is no shadow of turning in him, meaning that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that alone, when we, especially after we've been hurt by someone that we trusted, when we can get our focus sort of and reframe ourselves cognitively onto the fact that the Lord is fully trustworthy, it will help the healing process. That doesn't mean that we don't need to go through a process of um, dealing with the aftermath of having trust broken, uh, dealing with the results of that in our own lives and processing through ultimately at the end of that road um, forgiveness for that person. But when we can remember that the Lord is trustworthy, it is a healing balm to our hearts as we go through the journey of healing um, from a breakage of trust. So we never need to fear that God will betray us in any way. He will never break our trust. He's a perfect God, and it would be an impossibility for him to do so. The enemy really works overtime here, I think, to to try to render us afraid of placing our trust in God um, because he knows that if we truly trust God, we um, elevate ourselves to a level of being pretty unshakable, even when the world around us is in the chaos that it's in right now. And so when we um, deliberately and intentionally choose to trust God, that is something that makes a very strong statement, not only about how we view God, but it also makes a strong declaration to the enemy's camp that we aren't someone that's going to easily turn our back or or be shaken free from that holding on to and tying ourselves to God, as I just mentioned before, as the Hebrew word means, but talk. So we need to stand firm against the enemy's lies and choose instead, even though it might feel a little bit scary at first, to give our heart to the Lord and to trust every aspect of our lives to him. And as we make the choice to do so, we will see him prove himself consistently and completely trustworthy in our lives. So with that being said about the mental and emotional ramifications about trust and losing trust or having been betrayed by someone we, we once trusted, let's look now to our key scripture verse uh, for tonight, our scripture passage, which is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So once again, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So let's start out uh, by taking a general look at what each of these four phrases in this scripture scripture passage means. And I'll just take, uh, we're going to take one at a time. We're going to start out with trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
we'll break down what that means. Then we'll move on to lean that uh, on your own understanding, followed by in all your ways acknowledge him, and then we'll conclude with he will make your paths straight. So as we look at this verse, and just as a side note, this happens to be what I call my life verse, <laughs> um, which basically just means a verse that's been extremely important to me in my um, walk with the Lord of 37 years now. Um, and I believe that the Lord has spoken to me and encouraged me many times through this verse, mainly because I am a person that does want to, or not wants to, but tends to many times lean on my own understanding, um, just by virtue of the calling, uh, of being a Christian therapist. Um, there's a lot that goes into that with needing to understand and, um, help people, deal with the issues that they come to me with. So there can be a tendency for me to go in that direction. So as a result of that, I've had to be very deliberate and say, uh, not my knowledge, Lord, but yours, and not my understanding, Lord, but yours, um, and your wisdom as I uh, go forward in this calling. So it's been something that, as I mentioned, has been a, a very important passage of scripture for me. It's also probably one of the most well-known um, verses in the book of, of Proverbs. Um, and if you've ever committed Bible verses to memory, um, this is a great one to do so, especially if it resonates that these are areas that you need um, to be reminded of frequently. So let's begin to break this down now and see what the Bible shows us. So the first section is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Scripture is not short of examples of what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Noah building a big boat in the middle of dry land when there wasn't a cloud in the sky, despite all the ridicule of his neighbors, just because God said to do so. Abraham packing up everything and leaving his homeland when he was 80 years old, because God told him to. The apostle Peter stepping out of the boat to walk towards Jesus who was walking on the water because Jesus told him to. And us as Christians declaring Jesus is Lord um, when not only is that now ridiculed, but worse. Um, and back in the day when uh, Jesus walked the earth, people declaring Jesus, of Lo Jesus is Lord in a Roman empire, which only recognized one Lord, which was Caesar, was particularly um, precarious and dangerous. So we can see these examples of how it looks when we trust God with all of our hearts by these biblical passages and um, examples that I just gave you from the Old Testament and the New. So someone has once said that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And I think that's true on so many levels. Trusting in the Lord with all our hearts will sometimes mean going out on a limb for God. When you have faith in something, faith is um, the evidence of things not seen. And so you are taking a risk, as it were, by stepping out um, when God um, nudges you to do so, but yet you don't know what the outcome of the situation is going to be. And that's what faith requires of us. And living by faith is no small no small task, no small accomplishment. So I'm sure there's been times in your own life where you can relate to having to step out into something unfamiliar, new territory, a new path, 
uh, perhaps, and not having that assurance of what you uh, know will be waiting for you on the other side of that step of faith. So as we look at trust, it is intricately linked with faith um, for that reason, because uh, I don't want to call it blind trust, but we've heard that phrase, and essentially it's abandoning all to God, surrendering, and putting our trust that he knows what's best for us and that he will um, guide us in the way that he wants us to go. Along these same lines, Psalm 37, 3 tells us, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. So when we say trust him and he will act, the proof that we're trusting in God to act is essentially that is, is if he doesn't act, we'll fall flat on our faces. <laughs> so when we're trusting him, we're putting everything in um, the uh, potential for us to know that God has our backs and that he'll come through for us. Now, he would never allow a child of his who has fully trusted him to fall on our face. That's not the point of my statement there, but it's the, the the situation of if we don't realize that um, he's fully trustworthy, we can come at this from the wrong mindset. And I'll get into that a little bit more as we proceed here tonight. A question that we can ask um, ourselves to kind of get an idea, a self-assessment, if you will, of where we're at with this. What have we done in the last week or so, or the last month even, which has depended for success or failure on the intervention of Almighty God alone? So what's a decision that you've made that you've sensed the Lord leading you to make that has its outcome completely dependent on his intervention in your life? It's it's an important question to ask because this shows the fruit of trust. And although we may not see immediately um, what we have decided to trust God in or to trust God for, we will eventually see the results of that and the fruit of that. And we need to be waiting with expectation while we um, stand in that place of looking to see God come through for us because he always will. He will never fail us. And truth be told, most of the time, we don't think we really need to always rely on God for what we do. We tend to default, unless we've really trained ourselves up, to rely on our own human understanding. We rely on our natural abilities and our skills and our experiences. We tend to default to that. We tend to default to things we've learned in the past. Um, in some cases, people rely on bank accounts to fall back on if their finances don't go as well as we planned. And this is where I think the rubber meets the road in terms of who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust yourself and your experiences or what's in your bank or what you know to be true about people in your life and your past? Or are you going to trust in the Lord God Almighty and, and his um, goodness and his character and all of the traits that make God who he is, which is the great I am. So it really does come down to that simple, and very, very few things do, or very few things are this black and white, but this really is a black and white issue. Do I trust ourselves? Or are we going to trust in God? 
And this is not related now to our relationship to other people and trust that comes to, comes through earning trust in relationships, but this is now related to us and God and where are we going to have our trust land. And my prayer is always that I trust fully in God. We cannot rely on ourselves enough to trust ourselves. So let's look at what Jeremiah 9.23 says, and it says this. It says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, meaning God, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. So we are trusting God with all of our hearts when the only thing we have to boast about is not our wisdom or our strengths or our riches, but simply that we know God and he knows us. When we are delighting ourselves in the Lord, we receive the desires of our hearts, as scripture says, because receiving his blessing and approval is absolutely the only thing in the world that truly does matter and that has within it eternity. So we can trust in the Lord with our entire heart and know that he will never, ever let us down. Moving on, the second uh, phrase of this passage of scripture, lean not on your own understanding spend lots of time and energy and mental and cognitive processes trying to figure out what we should be doing in life, in our own lives and in the life of our church, in our relationships, our careers, hobbies, our family life. We think about what we want and how we should go about getting it. In all these areas of of our life and in other areas that I haven't even mentioned, we need to learn how to let God guide us how to listen to his still small voice and how to not lean on our own understanding of our ability to try to figure things out. Oftentimes I'll use an example of God does not want us to try to peek around the corner. He's not going to let us do that. (laughs) He's going to show us what our next step is. And after that, the next step after that, he'll illuminate our path step by step as we walk down it. He is not going to show us the entire road that he has with all of its twists and turns before we need to take that pathway. One reason is because I don't believe we'd want to see everything that we might have to be facing in our future, and the Lord knows what we can handle. So he wants us to depend on him and his grace for that day. His mercies are new every morning, the word tells us. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they depended on manna, which means actually what is it? Uh, It was given to them every day for food, but if they tried to hold it over, it would become stale and moldy. So it's just another example of how God honors each day within its own right. He honors that 24-hour period of time that is created for man so that we don't get ahead of ourselves in trying to... Um, lean on our own understanding, so to speak. So as we look through scriptural examples here, um, we ha- there are many, there are abundant um, scriptures that I'll be listing here for you. And God guides us in many different ways. He guides us, though, step by step, as I mentioned. And there are a variety, different variety of preachers who talk about various ways that God 
guides us. And I just want to mention a few here just to give some examples for practical application. Um, so the first way that he guides us is through Scripture, through his own words. Um, so an example of this is Psalm 119, 105, which says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And that's kind of what I was just breaking down in a little more detail about how he illuminates the steps of our path. A second way that he guides us is through his still small voice. And I think a lot of people wonder why does God speak in a still small voice? (laughs) But the enemy roars at us um, and um, it has no same in his volume and his deception as he is the father of lies. But the Lord speaks in a still small voice. I believe, and this is my personal opinion, that it's because he wants us to draw near to him so we can hear him. When we are walking with God, we can walk with him at a level that is not as intimate as it could be. In other words, we can walk with the Lord. We can be as close to God as we want to be. He does not force closeness upon us. He does not force us to have a close walk with him. He invites it, but I always say the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force his will on ours. We've been given free will um, all the way back from the Garden of Eden, as we know. So I believe that his still small voice is done in that way, and this could be one of many reasons, but so that we draw closer to him to be able to hear him better. He desires above all else, he desires our heart. He desires intimacy with him. He desires for us to be close to him. And so I think that's just one more way that he's inviting us to do just that. Um, Scripture says, my sheep know my voice, and God speaks to us as we pray and as we listen in response to our prayers. And he speaks to us through that still, small voice, also through spiritual gifts. He can speak to us through dreams and visions, words of knowledge, um, biblical prophetic words, wisdom, and discernment. So those are all ways that he can guide us. The third way that he can guide us is through common sense. And this might seem um, self-evident and obvious, but it is true. Charles Swindoll, though, has an interesting uh, comeback to that. He says, God's heavenly plan doesn't always make earthly sense. So, yes, we need to use common sense, um, but with the perspective and the mindset that God's plans and his ways and his thoughts are higher than man's. So we can live with common sense down here on earth um, and go about things that we know um, are going to be safe for us and so forth. But God's plans also might not make earthly sense to us because they're higher than ours. So that's a key reason to stay close to him because he will speak to us and show us which path to take. And we'll hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Another way that God um, guides us is through the counsel of other believers. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the wise men man listens to advice. Proverbs 15:22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed or other translations say there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Proverbs 20:18 says, make plans by seeking advice. 
And um, a lot of Proverbs has to do with wisdom and advice and counsel and seeking direction. So if you are at a point in your journey with the Lord where you're looking for extra direction, um, Proverbs and also Psalms, well, the whole counsel, the word of God clearly is what you need to look at. But specifically, Proverbs has much to say about issues, and it says in practical terms what we need to do as we're living our lives day to day and looking for God's direction. Um, Leonard Ravenhill, uh, who is known by many, famous uh, preacher, pastor, um, he says men give advice, but God gives guidance. So there again, we can go to men for advice and counsel and wisdom, but when we need guidance for our own lives, no one can tell us what we need to do, tell us what to do, or guide us the way that the Lord can. And really, we need to let the Lord be put in that position. Um, We should not presume that it's our duty to tell other people what to do. Believers have their own unique, customized walk with the Lord, and they need to seek him for the decisions that they make in their lives. Um, And finally, uh, the fifth way that I'm going to mention tonight, there's many other ways, that God guides us is through circumstantial signs or divine providence. Um, Proverbs 16.9 says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And Acts 16.7 says, sometimes God closes doors. 1 Corinthians 16.9 talks about how sometimes God opens doors. So there's so many ways that God guides us, but I just wanted to give you a few so that you can understand some basic ways to begin as you um, kind of look at this new way to commit to trusting in the Lord and leaning not on your own understanding. So, and for much of our lives, we don't necessarily have this expectation that's got, that God is going to guide us. It's, it's something that I think we need to learn. And um, it's not always told to us, quite frankly. And if we're not in the word, we're not going to know that the Lord wants to guide us. But we have to ask him. Again, he's not going to impose himself and override our free will. Um, I think by default, we just tend to lean on our own understanding with many, with many things. But our new default, as it were, <laughs> would, and I encourage this, to to our listeners tonight is try to let your new default be going to God for guidance first instead of just leaning on your own thoughts, your own wisdom, your own experiences. One thing you can ask yourself is when was the last time you did something which came from a platform of trusting in God but actually went against human wisdom? God wants to guide us in every step of our lives, but we just need to ask him. We don't want to just keep on doing what seems best in our own eyes. Uh, Scripture has much to say about this. Because our limited understanding is so limited, we can oftentimes go off path by trying to follow um, the the phrase, follow your heart. (laughs) Um, Scripture says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. So the world often says follow your heart. 
I understand essentially what that means, but if we're going to look at that from a biblical perspective, following your heart is not um, a, the best idea. Better yet, um, and really preferred, is following after God's guidance because our heart can deceive us constantly. So the words of David to Solomon, who God had chosen to build a temple to the Lord in First Chronicles 28.8 say, so now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you. So you can see here the importance of seeking God's wisdom and not leaning or depending upon our own understanding, um, serving him wholeheartedly with a willing mind. He knows our motives. He searches our hearts. In a way, you can look at it as a protective mechanism by not leaning on our own understanding. The Lord does not want us to do that because he knows that we can be so easily self-deceived. We don't know what's all in our own hearts. That's why we're encouraged to ask God to search them. Also, God is omniscient, and we aren't. He's all-knowing. And so this, again, points to why we have to let him guide us. So the third phrase in this uh, scripture passage that we're reviewing tonight, Psalms uh, 3, 5, and 6, is in all your ways acknowledge him. So we acknowledge God by submitting to him and also by letting people know how important God is in our lives. So it's both an inward response and also it can be an outward response that can actually be a witness to other people. So let's just take a quick look at Luke 9:23. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul. We also acknowledge God privately by praying, and prayer is at the heart of our relationship with God, as I'm sure we're all aware. Prayer is the ultimate expression of our dependence upon God. So if we think we can do things by ourselves in our own strength, we wouldn't feel a need to pray. But if we acknowledge, as this part of the verse says, in all your ways acknowledge God, if we acknowledge that without God we can do nothing, then we will show that acknowledgement and dependence upon him by praying. So we can never underestimate the power of prayer as a way to acknowledge the Lord. And note that this, this passage says, in all your ways acknowledge him. So that means in every way that you live, we need to acknowledge him in your comings and in your goings, in your daily activities and everything that you do. Um, just starting out the day in prayer and asking the Lord to help help you be cognizant of him all throughout the day and to walk by the Spirit, just letting him into every detail of your life is um, an excellent way to live this out in practicality of acknowledging him.
finally, in conclusion, we'll look at the final section of this verse, and it says, and he will make your paths straight. So how do we know if God is making our paths straight? How can we be sure that God is directing our lives and our steps and that we really are doing what he has called us to do? And in my practice, a lot of times I do um, uh, see this issue be raised by patients frequently um, because they wonder, am I on the right path? Am I following what God told me to do? How do I know if I'm following what God told me to do? Um, And so there's, you know, Typically, with a question like that, um, one way is to go to the Lord and seek confirmation, ask him for confirmation when he's given you a directive, um, asking him to confirm. The word says he confirms by two or three witnesses, obviously seeking out his own word, um, and he at times will highlight a passage of scripture you may have read hundreds of times, but he may highlight something from it called a rhema word or a fresh word from God. Um, And as you ask him um, for assurance that you're following in his ways, he will certainly provide that assurance. So in the world around us, people at times, they'll judge the rightness or wrongness of their actions by the worldly criteria of success. So if what people are doing is successful or popular, if it goes well, well, then they think it must have been the right thing to do. But if things are unsuccessful or if things go wrong, then oftentimes they'll believe that they've made the wrong choices. Um, And this can be a trap that we as believers can fall into as well. We think, oh, well, if I I did this ministry activity and it seems to be successful, then I I must have done it right. And that type of thinking kind of can set you up for um, a faulty perception of how to evaluate whether something was a success. This is important to look at from what is successful in God's eyes, not as, not what is successful in our own eyes or in our colleagues' eyes or in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ's eyes. Proverbs 23 tells us in verse 17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. And in Proverbs 24:19 and 20, it says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has found no future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. So it's, it's kind of saying there that if you're looking at worldly success or other people that you know um, and what they're doing and, and they seem to be more successful or more popular, that is not the gauge that we want to use. Comparison is the quickest way to losing your contentment in, in the Lord. Comparison is a trap, and when you start to do that, um, it leads you down a, a very slippery slope. So I highly encourage that if you find yourself always comparing yourself to others, um, take that to the Lord and Let him work on that in your life because that's not a trap that he wants you to fall for. That's um, a snare of the enemy really at its root. So um, David makes the same point in Psalm 37. He says, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. for For like the grass, they will soon wither. And like green plants, they will soon die away. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their own ways or when they carry out their own wicked schemes. And just a, 
a quick little story that I wanted to include here in this broadcast. There was an atheist farmer who often ridiculed people who believed in God, and he wrote a letter to his local newspaper. And he wrote, I plowed on Sunday, planted on Sunday, cultivated on Sunday, and hauled in my crops on Sunday. But I never went to church on Sunday. Yet, I harvested more bushels per acre than anyone else, even those who are God-fearing and never miss a service. The editor printed this man's letter and then added this simple comment, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. So as believers, we need to be looking beyond this world and this life um, in terms of how we measure our success thinking that we're going to see immediate results. This atheistic farmer clearly was somebody who did not practice delayed gratification. He wanted instant gratification. He got it. And then he, instead of giving God credit for it, he took the credit for himself and saw it as an opportunity to try to divert people away from believing in God. God works on a different timetable than we do, (laughs) as many of us know. And so for us, in our journey with the Lord, we know that we can do all the right things at all the right times, but we might not see the results right away. And that's where it's so important to hang tight and to hang tight to God and to wait, but to wait with expectation that he will fulfill all that he has promised us. So the truth of the matter is that when things may appear to go wrong, even when we feel like we're doing the right things. We have to be careful not to always assume that when things don't turn out right, it's because that it's because we've done something wrong. Um, this is something called the fallacy of the excluded middle. And this is the reality um, that says that things can and do go less than perfectly, even when we do everything right. And sometimes that can be uh, due to demonic opposition, sometimes because of the fact that we just simply live in a fallen world, and sometimes because we're fallible human beings. So for us, relying on levels of success as a measure of whether we are doing the right thing or not can be a recipe for discouragement. So how do we know that the Lord is making our paths straight? This is where this teaching brings us right back to where we started, actually. It's by faith. It's simply by faith and by trust. When we've done our best, when we've relied on God's grace, and we've trusted him with all of our heart, then we've not only done our best to rely not on our own understanding, but to instead submit to God, all we can do at that point is to trust that God has made our path straight and is making our paths because this is, of course, an ongoing process as we journey through life. So we just need to have that faith and trust that the situation we're in is the place that God has brought us if we have, in fact, surrendered all to him for his purposes. Whether things seem to be going very well or badly, we need to trust that Jesus is sovereign, he's Lord of all, and God is in control of his world and of our lives. The great missionary Hudson Taylor put it this way, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our influence, right into God's hand. And then when we have given all to him, 
there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. So that essentially is stating we need to surrender all to God. And when we do that, we will find the everlasting arms are beneath us. So in conclusion, I just encourage you um, in the upcoming weeks um, to really think about this passage of scripture that we've spent quite a bit of time on tonight, 3, 5, and 6. Try to look at, perhaps at the end of each day, think back to the events of that day and think of that scripture and what it has to say about your day. Um, And then think about it in terms of what tomorrow may hold. So it could look something like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What specific things do I need to do tomorrow to express the fact that I'm trusting in God? Lean not on on your own understanding. What should I have done? What could I have done differently today if I'm relying on God and not on my own understanding? In all your ways, acknowledge him. What will I do in the future to both inwardly and publicly acknowledge God and his lordship over my life? And he will make your path straight. In what ways will I expect God to make my path straight tomorrow? And how will I recognize that fact? So that's just some ways to really bring this home um, to where we live and how we can apply it practically in our everyday lives. Break down the scripture and then ask yourself those, yourselves those questions. And it's kind of a way to see how much am I truly trusting in God and how, how much further do I have yet to go? This is not to invoke shame or guilt or anything like that. This is a process. God delights in us when we um, try to live out his word. So by no means should this be, see, I'm failing miserably and I, I'm terrible at this. This is simply an exercise to help you grow. It's an exercise to help kind of give you an idea of where you're at on this continuum, as it were, of trusting God fully. And we all can improve in this area. <laughs> and really probably this side of eternity, we won't completely, perfectly reach a full 100% state of trust in God, although I can certainly see that that could be a possibility, but for most people, it's a process, and we will realize that fully when we are with him in eternity, but our goal needs to be 100% trusting in God, and that's what tonight's broadcast was all about, especially as we're facing this world that has been completely upended. Um, We don't know what news we're going to wake up to each morning. And as things continue to seem to wax worse and worse, we need to know how to stand on our trust in the Lord and in him alone. Our trust in him will always see us through. So that's all the time that we've got left for tonight. And I just thank you so much for listening this evening. I'd like to take a moment and close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, this opportunity this evening to share these words that you've put on my heart, Lord God. I pray that they would bear witness with those who are listening and that they would also bear good fruit going forward, Lord, as we challenge ourselves with how much we truly do trust you in our day-to-day life and our day-to-day activities, Lord God. Help us to be spurned to trust you more, Lord. Help us to be stirred up in you to want to trust in you and not in our own strength or our own flesh, but God, to lay it all at your feet when we can't understand the world around us, when we can't understand our own specific life circumstances, that we can land on the fact 
that you've got it all covered, you are sovereign, and that you are worthy of our trust. So I just pray, Lord, that you would bless each one listening, meet the needs that they have in their lives, Lord God. Protect them, Lord. uh, Keep them safe, healthy, Lord. And we just pray that this message will go forward in the way that you intend it for each one listening. We give you all the credit for it. We ask all these things now in your glorious and holy name. Amen. I hope you'll join me again next month for my next broadcast. And if you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call 414-254-9862 or visit my website at healing-word.com. Thank you very much and God's richest blessings be upon you.